and making a difference every day. Welcome to the Animal Care and Welfare Podcast, iBuzz, where we combine the science and practice of animal welfare in a fun and engaging way, where we answer questions, find solutions, discuss tools, and achieve results, all for happy animals and people. I'm your host, Sabrina Brando, and this podcast is brought to you by Animal Concepts, and the Practical Animal Welfare Science Membership Experience. Let's buzz! Welcome to another episode of iBuzz. Today I'm joined by Jim Gunter, who is the CEO of Species 360. Welcome, Jim. Hi, Sabrina. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Thank you for having time to join and, of course, tell us all about Species 360 and all the amazing things that you and your team and of course, all the members are doing. But before we go there, you know, could you please introduce yourself for those uh, listening that haven't heard of Speed 360 or your work? Sure, so I'm Jim Ginter. Uh, as you said, I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Species 360, and I've been here for almost five years. Um, and before Species 360, I just have a long history in my career of working in large uh, global computer sciences and computer information systems businesses. Um, and so a real logical fit um, to the uh, computer sciences side and data analytics side of Species 360. Um, and then I've just got a, a very large passion for animals and the species conservation, global conservation, those kinds of things. So my, my passion uh, and my background seem to be a pretty good fit and I'm super excited to be working in the organization uh, and working with our members. Wonderful. So you already mentioned something about computer systems and you know background in that. How is that relevant to Species 360? Yeah, so Species 360 has um, a, a big role to play in data collection and data sharing in populations of animals that are held in human care. And so we, we run a software system called the Zoological Information Management System that is the biggest uh, data collection source and data sharing source for animals that are held um, in populations in zoos and aquariums and uh, wildlife refuges and uh, sanctuaries and other places where animals are actively managed or actively monitored by humans. And so the background that I have um, is a logical fit for that because we, the system runs globally. It runs over the internet um, and we just need a really strong team uh, of data scientists uh, and data uh, uh, data analysts and computer science experts to be able to run that system. Wonderful, which segues directly really nicely in, of course, who is behind Speed 360 because as you say, you're working with a big team with who have all different expertise for, of data, data analysis and everything else. So could you let us know a little bit more about who is you know, working in the team and, and the roles they have? Yeah, absolutely. So Species 360 at its core is a membership organization. So we work with over 1,200 around the world in 100 different countries. Um, and to support that, we have a, a strong team of 
uh, experts within our home office and then a few scattered around the world as well, um, helping run that organization. And it feels like it would be a large organization, but in reality, we're only about 30 people. And that organization includes the software engineers, um, which really build the core of our software platform. But it also includes a five-person support team. So when members are having issues with the system or just want to learn more about how it works, um, they can call at any time or email at any time. We have a small training team. Uh, we have obviously finance and administration, people that are working on membership invoices and those kinds of things. Um, and then we have uh, product owners that really are the strategic minds behind what we're going to develop. So as we develop new software or we work on new scientific aspects of the data sharing, um, those are the experts that figure out how we're going to do it and when we're going to do it. Um, and then we also have a team of uh, scientists, research scientists, uh, conservation scientists in Denmark uh, that is called our Species 360 Conservation Science Alliance. And it's a small but mighty team doing partnerships with um, organizations like the IUCN and CITES, and I think we'll probably get into that a little bit more later. Um, but they're doing a really wonderful job of figuring out how to take all of the decades of data that have been collected in our system and turning it around to use it for conservation. And, Wonderful, yes. Uh, and welfare we science to be able to help these animals or help the species. Wonderful. Sorry, there was a little cut there. So I thought you had stopped talking. So yes, and it's amazing. We'll of course make sure that there will be a link to the Space 360 website where people can really explore. And you'll see also in you know the news sections and so there's a lot of that team in Denmark and also all the students, right? Because you work with a lot of data scientists, uh, highly qualified postdocs, but also a lot of students that are helping moving this forward. Yes, our, our director of science, um, Professor Dahlia Kandi, has done an absolutely wonderful job of partnering with her kind of her parent institution in Denmark, the Southern Denmark University, um, in building kind of a network of students um, and then partnerships even more broadly than that at other universities to bring in students that are passionate about the kind of work that we do and turning um, our amazing resource of data into valuable conservation action. Um, she's just as, she's a master networker um, and connector of people. So she's done a great job of finding collaborations and partners and co-authors as they work through that, often, often using the students that are working with her. Wonderful. So you've already mentioned that uh, Space 360 is a membership organization. So who, and you talked about zoos and aquariums, but for example, who are some of the members and why would, zoos and aquariums because we also at the podcast we have zoo directors and and other managers listening why would they want to join species 360 what are the benefits for example yeah so like i said we have um, a little over 1200 institutions around the world um, and they, they span everything from the largest most iconic uh, zoo and aquarium institutions you can think of around the globe um, which are some of our, our biggest core and, and biggest sponsor members. But it goes all the way down to, in some cases, individual species institutions that are just holding a specific species, um, either for um, sanctuary or, or refuge kind of purposes, and sometimes it's a reintroduction process. Um, and, and then sometimes it's just um, a, a specific uh, philosophy that they have. They, they want to be able to manage a, a species and help them, help them in a specific way or learn about them in a specific way. And so our membership goes everywhere from institutions holding thousands of species down to institutions that are holding you know, a handful of animals in a, in a given species. So it really spans a wide variety. 
And they all find value in our services in different ways. But at the core of it, it always comes back to uh, the data sharing, being able to pass specific animal information between other institutions. So if I'm going to share an animal with another institution or they need to go to another place for a breeding program or specific welfare needs or what have you, they can share the medical records and the history of that animal um, instantly with those other institutions. And in some cases, they want to know more about the whole species at large. And so they want to know um, how does this animal react to a given anesthesia or a given medical treatment? Or what does a typical blood sample look for the species? Or height and weight normalization, what does that look like for the species? And so um, there aren't a lot of resources for many of the species, the thousands of species that we have these kind of records for. And so institutions will turn to us to get help on that. And the vast majority of them reach out to us uh, from, from a membership perspective. They want to use the system. They want to contribute their own institution's data um, and that, that can then be shared. And a small subset of them will reach out more from a research perspective and they want to have access to that data to be able to do a deeper dive just on the research side of it as opposed to the animal care or maintenance side. Wonderful. So it's the institutions between each other that can, of course, share data. But you are also talking about that, obviously, in a protective, controlled manner, people, uh, perhaps universities or other experts that would like to inquire a certain topic or certain species, they could, with the permission, obviously, uh, you know, really look at that data and use it for particular research projects. Right. And so that we are a fantastic resource. I mean, the analytics and the information that we have in the system. Um, and it can be really quite impactful. Um, we do have a lot of controls around the data privacy. So our, our members own their own data. Um, and we do a very, uh, we're very careful about how that data is shared. And in most cases, if somebody wants a specific institution's data, we, we ask them to go directly to that institution. But we are the curators of the aggregated data. So as we have you know, many, many individual animals of a species across lots of institutions, that aggregate data just becomes valuable in a whole new way. And we work through our, our research committee and then through a board of trustees to share that data. And we try to be very proactive about sharing it um, within the constraints that we have of the data privacy of our members. But we really want to get that data out there so it can be used, so we can support organizations that want to care for animals more carefully or really support conservation success for those animals. Yes, so the Zoological Information Management System, ZIMS, as you already uh, noted, has different systems. Uh, it has ZIMS Aquatics, Husbandry, Medical, Studbook, Education. So, uh, you know, can you say a little bit about these different systems, what, you know, how they are different from each other, whether so the, the pros uh, of the various systems and how they integrate? Yes, absolutely. So within the membership of Species 360, you get access to all of that software. Um, and it ends up becoming a very, a very powerful package, especially for um, more complex institutions. So Zims for Husbandry supports the day-to-day -day interactions with the animals. Uh, I like to think of it as kind of the care and feeding. So keepers, registrars, uh, curators will use this system uh, daily just to kind of check in on their animals or to record what's happening with that animal in a given day what enclosure it's been in, what other animals it's interacted with, how, how they've cared for it. Um, and so that was our first system that we rolled out. Uh, and then the 
medical, Zims for medical is what the vet and the vet staff will use to maintain the animals. Everything from tracking prescriptions um, and dosages uh, given to animals to, to um, blood samples and height weights and, and lab test results and those kinds of things. It really ends up becoming uh, an electronic medical record system, similar to what you would see if you go to the doctor and they start recording your information in the computer. Um, we just happen to track it on you know, several, several thousands of species, about 24,000 species versus just one human species that your doctor will have to keep track of. Um, so a very, very, very complex system, as you can imagine, there's a lot of different types of data you track on the different species. We also have a system uh, called Zim for, Zims for Stud Books, and that's how our institutions uh, and the associations often for the zoos and aquariums will manage the genetic, uh, gen genetic breeding programs for the species in their care to make sure that they maintain a healthy genetic population of animals um, and that they're breeding the right animals with the with the other right animals. Um, and so we help them with the, the math and science of that. And then our members, the ones that are actually managing those animals are the experts that's actually getting them um, to do the breeding programs and get the animals moved, to get them located and set up the right environment, enrichment and welfare for them um, in order to be successful with the breeding. We also have uh, within the, uh, Within the husbandry system, we have a very new uh, product that we've rolled out. Sabrina, I know you're very familiar with it, the, the care and welfare system. And this is a system that is proving to be very effective, helping communication within an institution as they work on caring for and improving the welfare of individual species and individual animals uh, within that species. So they can now track uh, a virtually unlimited number of characteristics as they monitor the different species in their care, and they can watch the trends of those characteristics over time. And it really helps them communicate better within their institution. So perhaps between the keepers and the veterinarians to see how is that, that how is the situation for that given animal changing over time? And how are we tracking those characteristics as they change? So it might be something as simple as a height weight, a measure, it might be, you know, how are they moving around their enclosure? How much movement are they doing? Um, and it really, those, those characteristics are defined by the given institution, given the scenarios that they have or the individual species that they want to monitor. So a very, very powerful tool. Um, we, um, and it's getting uh, very significant adoption across our membership. Wonderful. So Serena, I don't know if there are other aspects or I know I think you also had mentioned that you might want to hear about the, the education. Yes, if you could talk also about the education and how aquatics adds to it, that would be absolutely great. Uh, yes, thank you. So the, so the education memberships are really focused at institutions that are training the next generation of uh, individuals that might go to a zoo and aquarium for a career or into conservation science and perhaps more in situ type scenarios. And it really helps them teach what good records keeping looks like on an animal population. Um, and so lots of institutions, universities around the world will leverage ZIMS as a training tool to teach them how that is done. It doesn't necessarily mean that those people will use ZIMS when they get out into whatever their career field is, um, but it gives them a really good sense of what a good structured system looks like, what data standards look like, and really how to, to manage that in whatever field that they go into. Um, and there's probably a couple dozen different institutions around the world that use it for that, strictly for, for an education tool. And then there's several dozen more that use it both um, as an education tool, but then also to track the, the, the small populations that they might have in their facility that they use to train their students as well. 
and they actually become institutional members of Zims as well. So they'll end up having a dual a dual membership. Um, it's been a very it's proven to be a very successful tool um, in both the education practice, but then also encouraging data sharing and data collection later in their careers. And then you mentioned Zims for Aquatics. Um, Zims for Aquatics is a branch of Zims for Husbandry, but very focused on the much more nuanced um, and in a lot of cases more challenging and more data centric world of aquariums. And so the, you know, an enclosure in a zoo is often, you know, a, a perimeter fence and, 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 and then they're just out in the open. And in an aquarium, there's, there's much more to be dealt with with pumps and filters and the quality of the water and the, the chemicals and the materials in the water. Um, and so there's, you know, just that one example of an enclosure becomes much more complicated and much more data intensive. Um, and a, a Zimfra Aquarium is probably our most um, uh, immature product as we continue to develop it and try to build it into something that the aquarium industry can really leverage to share data at the same level that the zoo community is sharing today. Great. Yes, and we're going to hopefully hear more uh, from uh, Nanette, who um, has helped uh, and really, you know, spearheaded the care and welfare module, which we hope to get her onto a podcast and tell us all about that module, because it's wonderful. Obviously, zoos and aquariums who already have Zims, uh, they need to switch it on. But then, you know, experts from all around the world uh, together, obviously, with you, with your teams have worked for months and months you know, on this module on how it can help animals and really, you know, from an animal perspective and animal-based parameters. So really looking forward to having more members of your team uh, joining the podcast and, and really doing a deep dive in, in some of the wonderful ways that, uh, that we can uh, work for animals. Now, you also already mentioned that you are doing a lot of work around conservation. There is the Conservation Science Alliance. Um, there's, you know, data science and zoos. Can you give us some examples of, you know, how, how has the data, you know, across various um, institutions held for conservation? Yeah, so one of the things, and this is, this is primarily what I mentioned, uh, Professor uh, Kandi a, a little bit earlier. This is one of the things that she has really made a difference for our organization is our ability to work with organizations. And the, the example I'll use is, is a partnership that we had with uh, CITES um, about two years ago. And they, they were looking for demographic information on uh, turtles and tortoises around the world so that they could better inform their policies and the changes that they wanted to make to be able to fight illegal trafficking or over uh, subscription to trade in specific species. And what they were lacking was good, solid demographic information, um, things like the, the breeding capacity of animals in captivity uh, or in human care in order to understand if the, the institutions that were claiming to be able to captive breed enough turtle species or tortoise species in order to trade them legally could actually do that. Um, and that data is relatively hard to find from uh, pretty much any place in the world unless you happen to have large institutions managing those species in human care um, on an active basis. And so our members' collections of that data over the last 40, almost 50 years now, um, proved to be an incredible resource to be able to pull that kind of information together. So
in terms of how, you know, just basic demographic information. When do turtles actually start breeding, which is very late in their, in their lifespan, and how many, how many turtles do they breed in a given uh, cycle, and how often is their cycle? And if you can add those numbers together, um, you can come up with some really good statistics in terms of how many turtles or how long you have to have turtles it takes in order to create a, an effective captive breeding program. And uh, through that data, um, which was provided to the CITES Secretariat and presented at animals committee meetings and other CITES uh, forums, uh, they were able to use that data extensively to start changing and rewriting policy. So it's, it's amazing how this data can be put through scientific processes and used in some policy making and other, other forums in order to impact the, the, the future success of that, of that species. Absolutely. And now, of course, we want to hear even more success stories because this is such a, you know, often I think when we talk uh, conservation or when we talk data, it doesn't necessarily, you know, hit home. What does that mean or in what ways does it become practical when we look at the data, analyze it and how we use that information for policy, for protection? And also, you know, to what it applies. So often, perhaps conservation for some people might ring around, you know, protecting animals or breeding animals to maintain the species, either in human care or um, to be released into the wild. Uh, but also, as you just mentioned, poaching and other types of, you know, illegal wildlife trade or other aspects that uh, that are relevant to to this domain. And perhaps you have some other other stories that you could share, or some of your other case studies that uh, that you've been working on with the team. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting with the diversity of our membership and the ease of use of our tools. Uh, we actually learn on a regular basis how our tools are being used in ways that we never uh, we never, never knew about and in some cases never expected. Um, the, the ZIMS data um, being so readily available to our members um, ends up in the hands of uh, our the conservation efforts of those members and so they will often go to the field or support field initiatives and in some cases even sponsor memberships uh, to Species 360 for those field uh, projects and programs uh, in order to leverage the data uh, within Zims to help with the, you know, whatever that program happens to be. Um, and, and then they'll also turn it around and use it for, in some cases, uh, rescue and release, um, or even, you know, in some cases, they're, they're sending their vets to those field programs, those vets are going into the field, and they're, they're trying to help the animals, individual animals, and they'll use the background data that they have from Zims in order to do that. Um, and so as our members get more and more impactful helping in conservation programs, much more often in the field now, um, either through funding or through their own expertise, they're leveraging ZIMS and the data in ZIMS in ways that we never even imagined. And it's always exciting to, to you know, pick, up a, pick up an article or to hear from an institution how they were able to leverage it. Um, and so sometimes we're directly involved, um, like in the example I shared with Dahlia working with CITES. Um, and in other cases, we're, we're very indirectly involved and not even needed to be officially part of it. It's just they're using our tools and our systems and our data to take advantage of it and to help a, help a given population. Yes, on, the, on your website, you have a lot of different news stories that, uh, as I said, we can uh, direct to. 
Uh, one of them is on the silent forest and species 360 uh, joining on the songbirds knowledge index. Can you uh, talk a little bit to that, please? Yeah, so it kind of goes back to the example I gave you on turtles earlier, where the amount of demographic information on these species um, that is added by the membership of Species 360 is very significant. Um, through the data in Species 360, we increase the, the known information on these species multiple fold. Um, in some cases, a given species, it could be six times. In some cases, it could be 20 times more data than you're able to find through other resources. And so we refer to our ability to kind of track the additional information that Species 360 members have generated as the Species Knowledge Index. And that knowledge index um, can be used to demonstrate what kind of information we have on what species. And that enables a conversation about what species can we, can we help from a conservation perspective. So turtles and tortoises was our, was our first success story. And now we believe we can do a very similar work for uh, songbirds in partnership with the European Association of Zoos and Aquariums um, and, and lots of other institutions that will be partnering with them as well. They're really in the lead on that project, but the data in ZIMS, uh, much of it contributed by their own association members, is going to be amazingly impactful as they try to figure out um, how those species uh, survive, what, the, what their conservation potential is, and what kind of policies or other changes need to be made based on those demographics in order to help that species be successful. Wonderful. Can you talk also a little, about, a little bit about the various partners and uh, you have association partners and other collaborators um, that you already referred to, like the University of Southern Denmark. Um, what about all the association partners? In what ways, because zoo associations, of course, have their own members and Silent Forest um, is a campaign that, that came out of EASA. In what ways do you collaborate also on an association level, apart from obviously working with your individual members? Yeah, so I think the, the Silent Forest campaign and the work with the Songbirds is a great example of a conservation partnership. Um, and we have a similar partnership with uh, the American Association, AZA, um, with several of their SAFE programs, which is Save Animals from Extinction. Um, and they use those programs to really focus on a given species or set of species um, to try to focus on their conservation uh, success. And we work with them in a very similar way to what we're doing with Songbirds with IAZA in providing demographic information and uh, data support for their programs. But we also support uh, many associations with uh, conservation breeding programs as well. I mentioned Zims for Studbooks earlier, and um, there's a dozen or more associations that are using already using Zims for Studbooks. It's only been around for about two years. Um, and they're using it in a significant way to manage the populations of animals where they have a very specific conservation breeding program going on for those species. Um, and so that's another way that we partner with them extensively. And then just being a, a good partner as they try to figure out how to manage different species, what data that they need. Um, we partner with them extensively to try to try to figure out what the system could do for them in the future and how we could improve it. Um, and I guess I'll just mention one other uh, partnership that is budding, um, and I, I anticipate will grow fairly extensively. More and more institutions are, um, at, especially at an association level, looking to manage um, samples, biological samples of species. And in some cases, that's uh, living frozen cells. In some cases, that's more historical um, blood samples or skin samples and other, other things like that. 
And we're working with them to build out biobanking capabilities in order to help that side of their, their research or conservation program success. Wonderful. You also mentioned that, of course, you have a lot of different products and services, and you also mentioned, obviously, that there are other different uh, systems out there, different software out there, um, and that you also do uh, data migration. So if, um, you know, facilities are listening to this and they're like, you know, we already have a database or we're working with a different system, you know, how do we take all that and could we move it? Um, can you talk more to that, please? Yeah, so we're always excited when new institutions want to join us and we, we want to make it as easy on them as possible in doing that transition. And I would say the majority of the institutions that have come to the Species 360 looking for membership and to use Zims um, have come from a fairly um, basic data records keeping process. They've kept spreadsheets or, you know, back in the day it was a lot of paper logs and those kinds of things, but we are definitely finding today that more and more institutions are using some kind of software package, either another existing records management system um, or uh, you know, more robust uh, internally developed Excel spreadsheets or um, other uh, data processing systems. And so we do have a process to migrate their data into our system. And if it's coming from one of the more established uh, records keeping systems that are out there, we may have a standard process to do that, um, which ends up becoming uh, a fair bit simpler, although it's never super simple because of all of the customizations and unique nuances of their data. Um, but we but we often will be able to work with them and find an option for them that will work within the timeline or budget or um, process that they want to use to get their team up and running on the new software. Um, we do have some very simple rudimentary uh, spreadsheet type import tools um, that tend to be actually the more popular one because the teams the, the, the new members and their teams can use them relatively easily and quickly. Um, but when they do have a much more robust uh, external system that they've been using, another third party tool that they've been using, it tends to take a little bit more time. But again, we do have some automated processes and we're getting better with every migration that we do, we get better and better at doing it and, and faster and more efficient. Yes, and of course you also have a whole department, as you already mentioned earlier, dedicated to training and really helping, you know, how to use the Zims, uh, because of course it's wonderful, there's, but there's also a lot of different features and sometimes, you know, it's like maybe your phone or some other gadget that you have or software that you're using an app, uh, but you only use, you know, the, the things that you're most familiar with or and you, you are not even aware as a, of, of all the, the wonderful tools and options that there are. So you have a lot of training um, and also, of course, you know, on, on an association level, not just on the member level. Can you talk a little bit to the training aspects of, of learning Zims and, and all the options there? Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, we do have a very robust uh, training, a suite of, suite of training tools. We have an extensive amount of training material and a training library online. Um, we have a training team that will quite often attend conferences or association meetings or workshops. Um, they are available for custom training. Um, there is some charge to that, but we try to keep that as low as we can. Um, and then we do have training that's built into the software itself. So if your team is in the middle of trying to do something and they find themselves a little bit beyond their capability, that the software actually does have a search tool that'll allow you to find the relevant search materials as you need it. 
And so we've got a wide variety of ways, depending on the type of learning that people uh, appreciate or learn best from. Uh, we try to tap into all of those. Um, and we definitely encourage, especially our newest members, from taking advantage of that as much as they can, especially early on. We find that members that really engage with the training material in, in whatever way works best for them tend to have the most success onboarding and then really taking advantage of their membership and all of the different tools that it provides to them. Um, and then we're, we're our training team is always available. Just if you have a question or a concern or there's a specific type of training that you need, it may already be available. It might be in a PowerPoint presentation. It might be in a webinar. Um, or if we need to do some, some custom training, um, you know, obviously in the current world of the pandemic, we're not doing a lot of on-site training. We've actually found that the remote training is really quite effective. And oftentimes it's more affordable, it's more convenient, um, and we can do it quicker without as much administrative overhead as, as having to travel to a given site and find times that work for, for the entire organization or, or, or pair of organizations as the case may be. Yes, and you can actually use the software not only on desktops and laptops, but it's also available um, on, on a mobile phone, right? Or on an iPad, so that if care staff, you know, working with the animals, wanting to use the husbandry or the welfare and care module, they can enter the data as they go through their day. Uh, it's a very flexible system, right? It is, and it, it, anywhere you can get an internet connection and can pull up a web browser, you can use the software. Um, now we do caution people, there are some parts of the system that are very robust and very data rich. Um, which may not be the best situation for doing something on your phone. Um, but like you say, a lot of the more simple functions or the functions that are more uh, something that you would actually need to do in the field or out around your institution that aren't necessarily easy to have a, a desktop there. Those are the ones that we're focused on first and, and making sure they're, they're mobile enabled or more mobile enabled as the case may be. Yes, wonderful. I guess I know from speaking to a lot of different uh, care staff, whether they're junior or senior or curators, there's a lot of people interested in, but they might not be actually directly, you know, tied to entering the data. Actually, somebody else, some zoos or facilities have a designated person who enters all the data. But there's a lot of interest in, you know, seeing how they could use that data and what ways they can visualize how the animals, for example, are doing when it comes to the care and welfare module. So I really look forward to, you know, talking more also uh, with Nanette and with others, you know, perhaps to uh, hear a lot more and perhaps see more in a webinar uh, so that people working in the animal care field um, listening to this podcast can also get a really good flavor for what uh, is out there and what they could do with it. Because of course you already have some wonderful, um, illustrations and stories like the the tamarind and Como zoo how they were able to really monitor and, and save the animals life by using zims uh, but i know there's a lot of interest uh, and i'm really glad that you came on and and hopefully other team members as well to talk more about uh, all the wonderful modules and software that you are uh, working through with uh, species 360. Yeah, really, I think the rest of our team will be excited to talk to you as well, Sabrina, uh, especially Nanette. I know she um, thinks the world of you and your, your participation in helping us build out the care and welfare tool was instrumental to making it as successful as it is. And I'm, I'm sure she will mention that a time or two if you, if you have her on with you. That would be wonderful. Now, before we conclude the podcast, as we all love stories, we all love success stories, do you have one more example for us um, before we close in 
a way that you either in a science meeting or in other researches have made a difference for individual animal or for, for conservation of a species? Well, I can tell you about something that we're developing and we shared, we shared this uh, at conferences last year and it hasn't been done yet, but it's one of the things I'm, I'm very excited about in that we're, we're doing a lot of work to try to bring together the conservationists around the world that are focusing on wild populations, so the in situ, with the value of ex situ conservation efforts. And so we're actively working right now with the IUCN Red List folks, which is kind of like the Zims, but for the wild population. So they're really tracking the status and tracking as much data as they can on wild populations while we're, while we're doing the same for populations in human care. And we're partnering with them to co-join some of the data from our systems and actually publish more information from zoos and aquariums into the Red List itself. So as people start looking at conservation uh, effectiveness or conservation plans for species, they'll know the full breadth of where that species is and how it's being managed. And in a lot of cases, it's less relevant that population may be only in the wild or, or predominantly in the wild. But in some cases, especially in situations where that animal is or is approaching extinct in the wild, those, those populations in human care become absolutely critical. And so being able to pull those two systems together and share with the, with the whole breadth of conservationists working to try to maintain those species populations is gonna be invaluable. And so that isn't necessarily a success story yet, but we're incredibly excited with the partnership that we're developing with the IUCN and the IUCN Red List team specifically to try to bring those worlds together. I think that's a fabulous story uh, to end on. I think it's such a, you know, great example of how when we put everything together, you know, conservationists and conservation organizations working in the field and zoos and aquariums and, and other facilities that are working for, of course, good animal welfare, but also species conservation. This is such fantastic news and such a great development. So absolutely a fantastic story to end on. And thank you so much, uh, Jim, for your time, for coming on to this podcast. We'll make sure to link um, to, you know, of course, the news and how people can stay up to date through the newsletter or uh, to sign up as a member. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Sabrina. And thank you for all of the partnership you've given us over the years. Already the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Find us on your favorite platform and leave your comments and suggestions, or go to the Animal Concepts website to send us your questions and feedback. We are so happy to answer them and address them in future podcasts. Animal Concepts is dedicated to helping you care for animals and yourself. Are you interested in quality animal care and welfare content? in actions and resources for you to be well while caring for animals, then check out PAWS, the practical animal welfare science platform, which has webinars, science into practice case studies, private Facebook live sessions, and a lot of resources for you and the animals you care for. You can share your experiences and connect to animal care professionals and scientists from around the world. In the meantime, take care of you and the animals and keep buzzing.